Well, here's our question. What does it mean to abide in Christ? Now, Leska's right. It's a churchy word, and a lot of people don't understand it, but I want to drill down into it. What does it mean to abide in Christ? I love the wise words of the great and late Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. He was a, a Welsh medical doctor who became a preacher and pastor, and he said this, the union of the believer with Christ is one of the most glorious doctrines of the Christian faith. Now, none of that may make sense to you, but listen to Jesus' words. Here's our passage, John 15. This is how Jesus describes this abiding life. John 15, verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you." You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Let me pray for us. Oh, good and kind Father, will you speak to us deeply this morning about what it means to abide in you. In the name of our King Jesus, we ask this, amen. Now, let me, let me make the setting clear to us. These words that I read are from Jesus in Jerusalem, 33 A.D., He's in a borrowed, rented upper room. It's Passover. He's giving the 12, his most intimate disciples, what 
Bible students call a farewell speech. And in John's gospel, this is the very last I am statement. There are seven of those. We've been studying those. This is the very last one. Now, I don't want to get cutesy here, and I don't want you to think of me as too childish, but what I'd like to do, remember my question, what does it mean to abide in Christ? What I'd like to do is take the word abide, A-B-I-D-E, and give you what I think are Jesus' five answers to what it means to abide in Christ. Here's the first one. Answer number one, A, it means that we are attached to Jesus. If we've said yes to Jesus, we're attached to him. And not just attached, but amazingly attached. He says so, if you're looking at your Bible, he says so in verse one, I'm the true vine. He says so in verse five, I am the vine, you are the branches. Page after page, in the Bible, testifies to God's ache, his, his longing for fellowship with us. And here in this passage in John 15, Jesus uses the metaphor of vine and branches and talks about how we are amazingly attached to him. Now, if you know your Bible, you know the language of a vine in a vineyard is rich in the Old Testament. If you went back to Isaiah chapter 5 and Isaiah chapter 27 and you went over to Ezekiel 15, 17, and 19 and you went to Hosea chapter 10 or you went to a beautiful psalm, Psalm 80. Psalm 80 and those other Old Testament passages talk about Israel as a vine that God planted in the promised land. And what Jesus does is he takes that imagery and he applies it to himself. He says, I am the true vine. I am the true Israel. Now hold on to that idea. Jesus is talking about communion with him, about union with him, about fellowship with him. He's describing a relationship of, of trust and love and Ultimate intimacy, and we're going to talk about that in just a little bit. Whatever Jesus means, he's not talking about something that's sentimental. He's not talking about Gerber baby food here. What, what he's talking about is a, is a robust, active, intentional relationship with him. A true Jesus follower accepts, receives, and rests in the finished work of Jesus Christ. We are, can I repeat myself? We are amazingly attached to Jesus. Now, what does that look like? When our youngest child, Chelsea, was a baby, my wife Sue would tell you this, it felt like to Sue that Chelsea was just glued to her hip because everywhere that Sue went, Chelsea went, and somewhere in the midst of all of that, Chelsea had a blanket. I got a little piece of that blanket with me that's left, not much left. When she went off to school, she was a, a bit worried about being apart from her mother. And we decided, Sue and I decided to cut a little part. This is, again, all that's left. We cut a little piece of her, we called it a binky, cut a little piece of her binky and we put it in her pocket and we told her that as the day went on when she felt anxious, all she had to do was reach in and just touch that, hold that. Are you with me? And so it is 
with those of us in Christ that we get these reminders primarily through Scripture, but we hold on to that and we remind ourselves that we are amazingly attached to Jesus. What does it mean to abide in Christ? Let me give you my second answer, answer number two. B, it means we are blessed in Jesus. Not just blessed, but beautifully blessed. If you're looking at your Bible, verse 7 says that. Verse 8 says that. Verse 9 says that. Verse 12 says that. Verse 16 says that. We are blessed. Now, I don't want you to miss Jesus and what he says here. He lists some blessings. One of the blessings he lists is we get answers to prayer. If we're intimately attached to Jesus, there's this relationship with him and he's gonna hear us. He says so in verse seven. He says so in verse six. Another blessing in this passage is what I would call spiritual fruitfulness. I don't know if your eye and ear picked up on it, but that word fruit occurs eight times in this passage. And there's a lot of, a lot of conversation among Bible students as to what Jesus meant by the blessing of fruit. I think fruit can include Christ-like character. I think fruit can include making disciples. I think fruit can imply fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, all those things. I think fruit of the Spirit can include boldness in our witness to Him. I think it can include obedience to Christ. Grapevines bear grapes when the branches stay attached to the vine. This isn't brain surgery. Jesus says, one of the blessings is fruitfulness. He also says that one of the blessings is being loved by the Father and loved by himself, by the Son. He says so in verse 9 and verse 15. Another blessing is, did you notice it? That we have been chosen by Jesus. He said that in verse 16. We didn't choose him. He chose us. Now, I can't hear this blessing talk and not remind myself of what the Apostle Paul said at the start of his letter, beautiful letter to the Ephesian church. He said in verse 3 of Ephesians 1, we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Hmm. Now, we, <laughs> all of us here, me, let, let, let me say that of myself, sometimes forget how blessed we are to abide in Jesus. It's, it, it can be like a relationship with Jesus can be like a marriage gone bad, can be like a friendship gone sour. It takes some work. Hope you forgive me for this. A couple months ago, I was over at coffee shop in Champaign-Urbana Espresso Royale, I was having a cup of coffee. I was trying to mind my own business, studying. But there was a conversation going on at the table next to me, and it was a loud conversation between a young American man. I, I'm terrible with age. I'd guess he was in his late 20s, maybe 30. And he was talking to his mother-in-law, who was very well-dressed, very proper. She was from India. Now, I was, again, trying not to lock in on this conversation, but she was 
she was pleading with her son-in-law to, to not end the marriage with her daughter. And somewhere in the midst of this conversation, again, I'm trying to study and drink my coffee, just have a pleasant day. He says to her, to his mother-in-law, he says, she hates me. And this beautiful woman from India handled that with such dignity. She said, my daughter doesn't hate you. She simply misses home. The longing of her heart was for home. And so it is for those of us who are in Christ. We ache sometimes. We're blessed and we want to be blessed more. My wife, when I was trying to explain this to her this week, she reminded me of our grandson, our oldest grandchild, Preston, who's a teenager now. Hard to fathom that. When he was a little baby, we all took turns watching him because his mama, our oldest daughter, Lindsay, was working. And Wednesday was my day to take care of Preston. Now again, you can think less of me. I did not follow orders. I did not I did not put Preston down. I carried Preston like a football. Uh, Wednesday was my study day. I laid all my books out on their dining room table and I just carried him everywhere I went. I didn't put him to bed. And he slept, his head right next to my heart in my armpit. He slept there. He, he, it's folklore now. He loves to talk about this. He said, Pop-Ops never put me down. <laughs> now what's beautiful now, he's again a teenager, when he comes up to me, every time I see him, he puts his head in that same spot. And he, he just, he waits for me to put my arms around him and kiss him on the head. He wants to be blessed. And so it is for those of us who are attached to Jesus, who are abiding in Jesus. We long to be beautifully blessed. What does it mean to abide in Christ? Let me give you my third answer. I... A-B-I-D-E-I, it means we are intimate with Jesus. Not just intimate, but incredibly intimate with him. Look at verse 4. Notice that little phrase, I-N-U. Verse 4 at the end of verse 4, in me. Verse 5, I in him. Verse 7, in me, all the way through these 17 verses, there is this incredible language, this incredibly intimate talk. Now, I agree with the, with the late great professor, uh, a preacher, Carl Henry, who said that whatever Jesus means here, this abiding talk is unique, it's inward, it's spiritual, and it's indissolvable if we endure in Christ. Now, I wanted you to especially notice verse five, where Jesus makes this extraordinary statement. Look at your Bible, the very end of verse five. He says, for apart from me, you can do nothing. He's talking about obvious dependency, what I'm calling incredibly intimate language. Again, that that Welsh preacher that I mentioned at the start this morning, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, if you get a hold of this idea, this idea of being intimate with Christ, you will have discovered the most glorious truth you will ever know in your life. 
It always makes me think of a relationship in the Old Testament Bible, in the Hebrew Bible, a relationship that existed between King Saul's son, Jonathan, and David, who would be king. And in 1 Samuel 18, there's this beautiful line recorded there. It says, and the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. What does it look like to abide in Christ? My, one of my longest friends on planet Earth uh, called me not long ago. He's had some health issues, and we were became friends in my junior year in high school, and he wanted to know if we could meet at uh, his mom and dad's gravesite. We were going to honor them, pay homage to them, and we met in Terre Haute, Indiana, then went across the state line to this little church cemetery, and we were talking there. My friend Jim Harper, he's a, he's a disciple maker. He's an evangelist, uh, been doing this a long time, but when we were in high school, uh, we moved my junior year in high school right next door to Jim's house, Jim Harper. And we, we hit it off from the very beginning. And we were playing basketball in the fall of the year against an arch rival, Robinson High School. And I did a dumb thing. My life is marked by doing a lot of dumb things. I did a dumb thing. Uh, one of the guys, a big guy, probably one of their biggest guys, ended up stealing the ball from one of our guards, and he had a free layup. And in those days, there was no intentional foul. I don't know if you like the game of basketball or not. So I grabbed him, and I shoved him. And he, of course, didn't get the shot off, and he came up swinging, and the, the stands emptied, and the police had to be brought in, and people were trying to set, and the guy tried to, he tried to kill me. And out of the midst of all of this fighting and confusing, here came Jim Harper off the bench. Jim had fouled out, and he tackled the guy and held him down. Now, Jim and I got a full disclosure here. Jim and I both got thrown out of the game, and we ended up losing the game. But I asked Jim, when we got together this past week, I said, Jim, why'd you do that? You'd only known me a couple of months. Jim said, I loved you from the beginning. I loved you from the start. So it is with Christ followers. Paul says so in Ephesians 1. He says, before the foundation of the world, Jesus loved you. He chose you. He knew you. What does it mean to abide in Christ? A, it means we're attached to him. B, it means we're blessed in him. I, it means we're intimate with him. And answer number four, it means we are, nobody likes this part, we are disciplined in him. Not just disciplined, but can I say it? Delightfully disciplined. Did you notice when I was reading the passage, all the pruned and clean talk by Jesus? Maybe your translation just uses the word prune or prunes, pruned. But that word clean in verse 3 in my translation is the very same word. I just wanted you to notice this. We're pruned so that unfruitful branches get cut off. He says so in verse 2 and verse 5. He says we're pruned so that we will bear more fruit. 
Jesus says we're pruned so that we can keep and do Jesus' commands. N.T. Wright, one of those brilliant Bible students, N.T. Wright said, I'm quoting him, though it always hurts, though it always hurts, we must be ready for the pruning knife. What's it look like to abide in Christ and know that there is a season from time to time of being pruned? I was thinking about that this week. We lived in Joplin for a time, and Sue, my wife, and I built a house on an empty lot, a corner lot that had no trees. And so I called my mother-in-law, who lived in Arkansas at the time. She's with Jesus now. I called her, and I said, hey, Mom, uh, I need some trees. She had a garden that butt up right against the little forest area, and she was always growing, always getting some trees started. And she said, sure, come down. So I got some maple. I got a couple of oak. I got some red bud. And I really wanted to get a couple of dogwood. I wanted to put the dogwood out on the corner front part uh, near the house where it would be protected from the wind. I ended up planting about 18 different trees. And somewhere in the midst of that, that dogwood just wasn't being a dogwood. It wasn't growing. It wasn't blossoming. And so I called my mother-in-law. I said, Mom, I, it's, it's just not, it's not happening. It's not blossoming. And she said, you got to do the radical thing. I said, what's the radical thing? She said, you got to cut it all the way down to the ground. Then I want you to come down here. I got some special manure. I want you to get some of my special manure, cut it all the way down to the ground, bless it with some manure, cultivate it, tend to it, and let's see what happens. And by golly, she was right. Within the next year or two, that dogwood began to blossom, began to grow, and finally it was just an absolute beautiful tree in our front yard. And so it is with Christ followers. He takes out his spiritual knife and he cuts on us. Sometimes it's so confusing, we can't sort it out, we don't understand the why, we don't get any of it, but he does it. What does it mean to abide in Christ? Let me get us to the best part. Answer number five, E, it means that we are esteemed, esteemed by Jesus. Not just esteemed, but exceptionally esteemed. Did you notice at the end of my text, verse 14, the language changes there. He says, you are my friends. Verse 15, no longer do I call you servants. I have called you friends. Verse 16, again, you did not choose me. I chose you. All of that language is language of being esteemed by Jesus. Now, I get it. I know he's saying this, first of all, to those disciples in that other room, but so he's saying it to us. You are, you are exceptionally esteemed. Now, I don't know. I can't prove this. I don't know what 
Passover time the disciples were thinking about when Jesus spoke this farewell speech in John 15 to their ears and heart. I don't know what went through their minds, but I know they knew the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, and I wonder, I'm just wondering out loud, I wonder if when they heard Jesus talk about how they were now his friends, exceptionally esteemed, I wonder if they thought about Abraham. The Bible calls him a friend of God. I wonder if they thought about Moses. The Bible calls Moses a friend of God. Now notice, Jesus is saying, we are not servants of a taskmaster, but we're friends of a creator, a redeemer, a savior, a, 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 a king. Now notice with me, the best part in all of this, as far as I'm concerned, is wrapped up in verse 11 when he says, Jesus says, look at your Bible, this is the point of all this abiding language. Jesus says that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Let me translate that. Your joy may bubble over. It may pour out into every part of your life. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but in the New Testament, in the second part of our Bible, the word joy has a strong presence. It has at least five different meanings. The word joy can mean what God, that God keeps his promises. Knowing that he keeps his promises can bring joy. It can be joy that God saves us. It can be joy that God saves other people. It can be joy that God gives us brothers and sisters in Christ but I'm persuaded that none of that joy meaning is found in this passage. I think what Jesus is talking about, he's talking about joy that God overcomes trouble and heartache. That God, by his presence in the person of Jesus Christ, gets us through some of the most difficult. Think about the context. The context is Jesus is going to the cross, and the disciples are going to feel acutely alone. He says there's joy in that. I wrestled with this passage in trying to ask myself, how do I explain this abiding? What does this abiding look like? To be attached, to be blessed, to be intimate, to be disciplined, to be esteemed. What does that look like? So I did an uncharacteristic thing. I made a phone call. I don't think much of the phone. I don't like using the phone. I called down to St. James Winery. It's on I-44. I go by it a lot when I go down to Joplin to teach or when I'm staying with our daughter Chelsea. I go by the St. James Winery. So I called. Again, I, I, I can't sell anything. I, it was a total bust, I thought to myself. They're going to hang up on me. So that's how I started the conversation. I said, I'm a preacher and teacher up in central Illinois. I don't know anything about vineyards. You can hang up on me if you want to, but I need to talk to somebody. I got four questions. <laughs> the lady gathered herself and she said, well, uh, there's a guy here. He, he's our expert. His name is Dan. I think you ought to talk to Dan. So Dan got on the line. I repeated the whole thing again. I said, you can hang up on me if you want to. He laughed. I said, I got four questions. Here's my first question. 
How long does it take to grow a usable, healthy, fruitful vineyard? He said, oh, it takes a long time. He said, at minimum, it's a three to four year investment. Sometimes it takes longer than that. I thought to myself, I can baptize that. That'll preach. I asked Dan, I said, Dan, what's the biggest challenge to producing a healthy vineyard, to producing grapes? He said, the uncontrollables. I said, look, I'm a hick from Illinois. I don't know what that means. Uncontrollables, what are you talking about? He said, you know, the sun, we can't control the sun. The soil, we, can't con- we can add things to the soil, but we can't control the soil. We can't control the weather. And he said, let me drill down into that. What I'm really talking about here in uncontrollables is the temperature. Makes all the difference in the world. I thought to myself, that'll preach. (laughs) Dan, I got a third question. I said, I'm just going to cut to the chase. I'm not even going to set it up. Here's my third question. Why is pruning so essential? (laughs) Quick answer, and then he elaborated. He said, my one-word answer is vitality. I said, tell me what you mean by that. Listen to this now. I'm not picking on you. Listen to what he said. He said, older plants get less productive. (laughs) He said, older plants need more pruning. Hmm. Then he said, he said, you know those younger plants? They need just as much pruning because they have too many roots. It's got roots going everywhere. We got to cut those off. They're interested in a lot of things. I thought, that'll preach. (laughs) Dan, here's my last question. What's the greatest joy for you? I told Dan, I said, my passage ends with a tone of joy. What's the greatest joy for you? He said, I'm quoting him, being a part of something that's grand, vine to wines, and he laughed. And I said to myself, man, that'll preach. You know, all this week, it's... I know it's been a difficult season for Eastview. I know some of you have grieved over what's happened in these months. I know the world situation seems rather distraughtful. Experts tell us there are 27 wars going on around the globe, and of course we got Israel on our heart and mind. I hope you do. All this week I've been thinking about an old hymn We don't sing it anymore. The language is somewhat stilted, but I still love this old hymn. The old hymn says, Abide with me, fast falls the eventide, the darkness deepens. Lord, with me abide when other helpers fail and comforts flee. Help of the helpless. Oh, abide with me. And he says... Jesus says in John 15, I will, I will. 
Oh, Father, will you now take these feeble words of mine and let them rest in a beautiful way inside of our heart to remind us that you are super glued to us and we are to you because of your promises here in John 15. Attached, blessed, intimate, disciplined, and especially esteemed. To your glory and your honor, whatever you decide to do in the future of Eastview, in the name of our King, Jesus, amen.